Just four weeks after they played their first ever tournament together, Gabriela Dabrowski and Erin Routliff are the 2023 Women's Doubles Champion. Absolutely remarkable. Remarkable. The US Open champions for 2023 have all been crowned now. Novak Djokovic added to his legacy 24 now and wiping out Daniil Medvedev in straight sets. Uh, ASB Classic champion uh, Coco Goff will return to Auckland with the US Open title in tow. And our own Erin Routliff joined the honour roll yesterday with her partner Gabby Zabrowski as they won the women's doubles, as you just heard, at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Unbelievable, and uh, guess who was there? Our Mr. US Open. Uh, never misses it if, uh, if that is at all possible to attend. Dave Worsley will be there. And finally, Dave Worsley, you sit up there eating um, all the savouries, etc., in the press box, looking down upon a New Zealand champion, my friend. How did that feel? Yeah, it was great to actually see, and uh, obviously the first-time champion for a New Zealand player, full stop at the US Open, and uh, yeah, it was fantastic, it was great, and hard-earned as well for Erin Routliff, who was, uh, well, she's had a tough year in many ways, because she was about to do the grand slam of first-round losses, even spoke to her about that before the tournament, and she's like, oh yeah, it hasn't been a good year, has it? And uh, she was very pleased to not do that, and then to just continue on, as she, well, she just carried on in a way that Things just kept on working. The partnership, uh, they had one, I, I guess, one game when uh, Vonda Rusova pulled out with an injury, but they played well at times. Initially, um, they you know had a bit of a hiccup in the first match, uh, dropped the set, but each time they just had a little bit of luck, played well, combined well, and then just everything came together with form as well. And as they went deeper into the tournament, it just seemed that the pressure didn't seem to matter. Uh, they had a great semi-final win, and uh, from there, it was just um, all the way to the final. Final was actually relatively straightforward. It was great. It, it was, Dave. But I think the key—I think the key—may be when they came back uh, against the young Canadian-American duo against all the crowd, the whole lot. I mean, we saw an edge mm. to Aaron Routliff. I, I didn't even know existed. <laughs> uh, I think that might have—that yeah, might have made it. That might have made it. Yeah, that was against Taylor Townsend and uh, Leila Fernandez. And they, they all knew each other pretty well. Uh, in fact, Townsend had put uh, Routliff out of the, I think it was the third round last year, and that was a little bit feisty too. So, yeah, there was a, quite a bit of feistiness on that one on the uh, Armstrong court. It wasn't necessarily a big crowd, but it was quite vocal. And uh, then we had one particular supporter who was actually in the uh, Taylor Townsend uh, box getting really into Browski's face, and then we had Routliff complaining about that. And then we had Townsend hitting a ball at Routliff and not acknowledging it. Usually, you know, even if you hit them, you're always just like, yeah, sorry, man. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, there was a bit of feistiness in there and uh, all sorts of things going on. And then you had Taylor Townsend, very experienced and highly regarded player, double faulting twice. Well, that was in a row there in the tie break. And, uh, you know, gee, you don't expect that to happen from such an experienced player. Right, you've been to so many US Opens, you've seen great uh, players play, you've seen them all play. Are you in a position now to say uh, where Novak Djokovic sits for you? Yeah, he has to be regarded as the greatest. He's got the titles, he's done everything he possibly can. He's beaten the top players that have, uh, you know, Nadal and uh, Federer and others as well. You, you have to say he is now the greatest. You can argue about whether you like his personality or some of the things he does as much as you want. However, statistically, 
everything just points to him as uh, the greatest player. It doesn't matter if you still like Rod Laver or if you still like Federer more or if you still like Nadal or someone else. That's fine. That's just, you know, the, the stats show that he is the best player. Uh, he is not getting worse either as he gets older. In fact, he seems to still be getting better. Uh, he's improved his serve over the last three or four years, so that's a real weapon. In the past, when he first started out and then through, I guess, the middle part of his career, it was good, but it wasn't great. Now, to try and break his serve is near on possible. Medvedev did it once. I think it was in the middle set uh, that went to a tie-break. Had an opportunity there as well to actually take that set. Um, he had a set point and just couldn't keep up the pressure. Right. Um, what about um, Alcaraz? I mean, he is, for all intents and purposes, uh, he, the people love him, um, the game loves him. Uh, but what about him now going forward, Alcaraz? I mean, uh, has he got this thing about Djokovic? Is it in, in, well, we shouldn't really complain. I mean, no, well, he we, him we in shouldn't complain. Yeah, I mean, he, he beat him in Wimbledon, so that's not a bad thing. So he's uh, not too bad. He's got two slams to his credit already, and he's 20. So I don't think we have to completely write him off. I mean, he lost to Medvedev, who is very difficult to predict. Medvedev is, uh, as Rublev called him, an octopus. He's got arms and legs everywhere, and you never know what he's going to mm. do next with those arms and legs. You know, and, and just imagine if he had have won that second set tiebreak and uh, you know, taken it you know, to a fourth or a fifth. You know, you still would have put your money on Djokovic, but gee, you would have been quite excited about it happening. And this is the thing, mm. you know, he was just that point away from really changing possibly history, possibly the whole match there. And so I don't think we need to write off Alcaraz whatsoever. I mean, he's, you know, he's number two in the world. Gee, um, you know, he, he is still there. He's still going to be the challenger to, you know, Djokovic at the Australian Open because he believes he can play on hard court. Uh, he has uh, one on grass. Clay seems to be his weakest surface, which is very strange for a Spaniard. Uh, whereas uh, Medvedev knows that he can play on hard court. Djokovic feels that the Australian Open is his. That's going to be really interesting in January. It'd be great to be there again. Uh, you know, 10 Australian Opens. That's quite phenomenal. He considers it like, um, I guess, Nadal's clay. And, of course, we all know what happened uh, when he tried to play... <clears throat> Recently, he wasn't able to. So that, that'll uh, that'll be a very interesting comeback for him. Look, that, that men's singles final, I, I reckon that could have gone for five hours, gone to a, fi a fifth-set tiebreaker, but it still yeah. wouldn't have had the drama and the atmosphere of Go Coco Goff's win. For me, anyway, looking from home, that seemed to be something special. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was something special indeed. The only problem was being there is that, ESPN had said from day one that Coco Goff was the favourite. She wasn't. She was third, maybe even fourth favourite. And they'd put this, that she was going to win, she is going to win. You know, I guess ESPN had to really go pro-American, which is, which is, I guess, fair call with their tournament as such. And even throughout the tournament, she had looked a little bit shaky in those first couple of rounds, probably through to the quarterfinals. She had not looked quite right. At one stage, she uh, told her uh, coaching group to um, shut up, uh, but using worse language than that. Uh, she has a lot of coaches around her and probably too many at this stage. She seems to have a lot who are at the same level, uh, whereas what she should probably have is one head coach, then one coach that deals with fitness, one that does this, one that does that. But there seems to be a lot of people telling her what to do. And perhaps she needs to tone that down a bit. She's 19 going on 20. 
she could start thinking for herself. She still has her um, dad there who um, has coached her for a while. And, uh, yeah, she, she's she's the real deal now. We've, we've seen it. She'd been runner-up at the French, but that was an amazing comeback because people were messaging me saying, hey, we've got Sabalenka as a winner. She's going to win this. I'm like, yeah. yeah, she has a great ability to go off the boil, which she did. She has great uh, ability to go off at her coaching box as well. Um, yeah, yeah, to smash yeah, record. Good like that. I mean, it, it's brilliant. I mean, what a personality and what a presence on the court, though, Sabalenka. I mean, she didn't get the job done this time, but my word, no, this, uh, no. she illustrates the changing face of tennis for me for women. Well, yeah, the the thing about her is that she's, she's so interesting because she's so different to Coco Goff. And she almost represents, in, in the U.S. anyway, that old um, Cold War thing. She's from one of those countries, you know, the Soviet bloc as such. Well, the Russian bloc as it is now. Uh, she's really nice, a lovely person. The thing that she did, which I was disappointed that it was actually shown, is that after the presentations and after the nice speeches and things like that, she went into the training room. And they have a camera there, which I think it should just be kept in one part. But she got one racket out. She had a trophy, got one racket out, obliterated it, basically, and then gently put it in the bin. Unfortunately, that was picked up, and it's been used all around the world. And I'm a little bit disappointed like that because it wasn't – she'd done everything right. You know, she'd given Coco a, a hug. She'd made a speech, albeit in tears, and then she'd walked off, got one racket, just smashed it on the ground in the training room, then put it in the bin. And uh, unfortunately, that went throughout social media, which it, it was kind of like, well, this was, to me, her private moment. Uh, mm. Unfortunately, it was seen by everybody, so it's not private anymore. But, yeah, she, she's, um, you know, she's, a, she's a contender there with uh, Iga Swiatek, and then you've got Coco Goff. Those three are probably the three best players, uh, let alone in ranking. Sabalenka is now number one. You've had Goff up to number mm. three. So those three stand out quite supreme. But Coco Goff, uh, her speed around the court is just phenomenal. How many could Djokovic get? Could he get 30? Oh, gee. Australian Open. Yep. French. Yeah, he's probably worth another couple next year. Uh, It just depends on injury. And he is so focused on staying healthy. I mean, these weird Mm. drinks that his coach mixes for him sort of behind the scenes and gives him that. Sleeping in an oxygen tent quite often. Uh, There is everything. He is so... enjoys looking at ways to stay healthy and uh, you know the the flexibility that he has gee he'd make a great yoga teacher uh, like he, he just loves looking and understanding the ways of how to actually improve his body and how to improve his movement so i think you know if he stays injury free wow you know 30 well that's another six gee uh i don't know that's that's another three years of two a year or you know, three no, a year it's a long time it, it's 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 a it's a long it's a long way off at the moment. But hey, I think twenty five the Australian Open. Gee, if you had some money, you put it on him first ahead of anybody else. Yeah, and it's going to take uh, outside of my lifetime for anyone to get close to that. I can promise you. Uh, right, okay. Now, how do we cash in on that? That's one of my final questions to you. How do we cash on? Do we cash, uh, cash in? in on this? Uh, cash in on this here at home. 
for the ASB Classic. Obviously, it's a tournament that's, that's well populated anyway with the fans. Uh, they love it because we get so rare an opportunity to see these players up close and personal. But then, but how can tennis in general cash in on a, a, a an open champion and an open champion, another open champion coming to be the top seed uh, under the rules of women's tennis? Uh, I mean, we're we're governed so much by this top thirty thing. But how how can we bolster this field? Well, I think the thing is, you know, it's, a, it's an absolute garbage rule because um, the WTA is trying to actually just get more money for itself and then it feels that, oh, we should have more of the top players playing each other. Well, no, actually, I don't believe you have to do that all the time because you're not promoting the depth of the field. You're only promoting a few. And this is one of the problems with uh, how the WTA has been run and also in the US as well. We only want to promote a few players when really you've got a whole lot more that you can promote who have an interesting stories, just like Aaron Routliff, for instance. Mm. Whether or not, I hope that Coco Goff does come to New Zealand, but when you're a US Open champion and you're ranked number three in the world, your coaches are going to say, yeah, it's nice, fulfill your commitment. But if you break a toenail, you're pulling out of the tournament. And that's what will happen. She may play like Sharapova did all those years ago with a, um, I guess, a, a something in the contract where make it to the quarterfinals, fulfill your, fulfill your uh, contract, and then you can withdraw. Things like that. that this is what comes into it. This is, it's, it's a business. Don't think that New Zealand's so special. It's a business. And this is the way it's uh, run. So hopefully Coco Goff will make it, whether or not she plays or whether or not she plays a full tournament, makes it through. Uh, gee, who knows? Uh, so that, that's one thing. And that'll, that'll help the tournament no end. But I think really how does tennis in New Zealand um, take advantage of Erin Routliff? Well, that comes down to the uh, Tennis New Zealand board and actually think that we do have to spend some money to make some money. Because Erin Routliff is not going to come home that often. She will come home and play the ASB Classic in doubles. She won't play the Futures tournaments that they've uh, just announced. Uh, she won't do a lot of other things. So people aren't going to see her that much. She may do the wildcard playoff just before the um, ASB Classic, before Christmas. But, you know, two weeks of the year, it's really difficult to actually use that person around the country, taking them to tennis clubs or to tennis camps. It's really difficult because it's such a condensed time of the year. So it comes down to, okay, well, what can we get her to do overseas? Can we take young players to see her? Can we, what can we do? I, I've got to say that when Paul Cole made it to number one in squash, and I don't work for squash anymore, but when he did, I got the, um, I got a poster of him made and, uh, you know, got, got everything all sorted and, you know, world number one, it got sent to every single squash club around New Zealand. But that's what Erin Routliff, you, you buy the photo yeah. and you get her, you know, with, you know, raised arms in the air and you send it to every single tennis club. If they use it, great. If they don't, well, so be it. But, you know, it doesn't cost that much. That's what they should be doing. That's the first thing. Very minor thing. But that's what they should be mm. doing first. Yeah, know, just so people go, oh, that's what she looks like. That's what she looks like. But yeah. she's only going to be in the country for a couple of weeks a year most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, good point, actually. Um, I mean, we just have to be resigned to the fact that if we do produce tennis and tennis sensations, um, that they're going to live the bulk of their lives overseas anyway, aren't they? Oh, you have to. I mean, um, look, at most of our top, look at most of our top sports stars. You mm. tell me, you know, motor racing, basketball, yeah. football. Yeah. You know, everyone yeah. has to live overseas. They, they're basically, everybody has to live overseas. Yachting. 
basically everybody. So in, individuals, yeah. individuals in particular too. Yeah, um, that's a yeah. good point. Actually, I was going to ask you something else about the significance of what we saw, um, and when we there was a lot of focus on Djokovic. Uh, actually, afterwards, uh, he took off his uh, top and then he put on a t-shirt with twenty-four. The significance of the twenty-four, the, the Kobe Bryant thing. Um, could you explain that a little bit better than I could? Yeah, I'm not sure if I can actually. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure why. It was the Kobe Bryant. I mean, 24 is in 24 Grand Slams. Hey, no problem. I mean, Margaret Court um, had 24, so I guess he's equal that and he will overtake it. So there can be no more arguments about Margaret Court got more. Well, yeah, big difference. Um, yeah, I'm really not too sure about the Kobe Bryant thing. I mean, yeah, I, uh, yeah no, I, I really don't know. I have to say, well, okay, Kobe and uh, Novak. I'm not sure they were great friends or anything. Um, it's, it's passed me by. Maybe that's something you've got to put out to your listeners and they can uh, Google search on that one. Um, yeah. I, yeah, it was, it was well, a strange I, I, one. I, I just thought the 24 was for winning 24 titles. They just made such a big thing of it on television. And, and of course, he had, uh, you know, everyone in this box had the white um, sweat tops on with uh, 24 on it. And then he had this T-shirt underneath. And I just thought, yeah, uh, Kobe Bryant... Um, 24 passed away, obviously. Um, I'll look further into it, but uh, certainly he made a big thing of it, and uh, I just wondered uh, whether it was a yeah. talking point in the press box. But anyway, uh, clearly not. Uh, not. Not so uh, much. Hey, it was more about uh, no. no, it wasn't. It was it was more about that 24 titles rather than anything um, associated with with Kobe, other than um, well, uh, other than his playing number. You know that that it was, um, of course, his last um, playing number. You yeah. know, Kobe was 24. Yeah. Um, which I think. Yeah, it's kind of surprised me. There's a lot of people you could have on your T-shirt, I guess, to say, I don't know, some sort of message. Um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Maybe it uh, could have been for Dave Worsley, who's probably been to 24 US Opens. Uh, no, only 15, but 24 will be my Aussie, I think. Uh, next time I go there will be my 24th Australian. Um, wow. yeah, yeah, so we're, we're getting up there, up to 45, mate. I'll, I'll make it to 50. Maybe I'll oh make it to God. 50 before Djokovic gets to 30. <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's hope so, Dave. Um, wonderful to catch up with you. Great that you're Johnny on the spot to see something so absolutely special in New Zealand tennis history. And um, enjoy and safe travels home, man. Thank you. No worries. Cheers.